All right, good morning. Welcome to Chanel. We are glad that you're here with us today. Um, I'm looking forward to our sermon, but I do want to just say we're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, if you're joining us online, regardless of how you're here with us, we're, we're glad that you're here because you make Chanel special, so we're thankful for you. Uh, this morning we are jumping back into our Everyday Disciple series, and we're talking about showing. How do we show our faith, our discipleship to Jesus, in the world that we live in today. And I actually had an example that I thought of that, that came from this past week. Our family went to Disneyland, um, and so actually at one point we'll be passing a tray around. You can help me financially recover from that trip if you'd like. Um, but we took our family to Disneyland. It was a great trip, great week, very tired from it, obviously. But the weeks building up to the trip is kind of what made it special. Because for a few weeks, Isla would get on Whitney's phone almost every single morning, turn on the Disneyland app, and look at the different rides that were available. So this app is really cool. You actually uh, can connect your, you know, your credit card, obviously. It's Disneyland. It's, it's magical, and it's, it's, it's magical. But um, you can connect your phone to it, but like if you wanted to order ahead at a restaurant, then your food would be there when you show up. So it's super cool. But the benefit to parents with two young children who are still learning how to wait is that the app shows you the average wait time of different rides. So before you even go to another side of the park, you can look at it and say, oh, the, the aerial ride is five minutes right now, like the wait, which is not great at Disneyland. If the ride is five minutes, you kind of know that the bar is pretty low. Um, but so for weeks building up to this, Isla would get on Whitney's phone almost every single morning flip open the app, and she would look for the aerial rod. And she would see, she would say, Mom, Dad, it's five minutes. And I'd say, think about why it's five minutes, Isla. Nothing else at Disneyland is five minutes. But every day she would look at this rod and she would just say, it's five minutes. Now, we would talk about this rod, right? We'd show her pictures of it. We watched YouTube videos. We did all of that stuff. But it's completely different when you show it to her. Now, I'm going to tell you that we got our money's worth on the aerial rod. I think we got to ride every single seashell that they had on that rod. Uh, every color, uh, we ended up taking the toys on the rod. I mean, she had a blast. But there's a huge difference in showing somebody something versus telling them about it. It became real. And one of my favorite conversations with her is Whitney had ridden it with her, and then we were switching out kids because of height requirements. And she said, Dad, you've got to see the aerial ride. She said, now there is a scary part on it because we, we forgot to tell her about Ursula. But that's, you know, that's our fault. We, we got to watch the movies all the way through next time. But it was just, it was different when she saw it, right? Like we can talk about it all day long. We can look at pictures. We can watch YouTube videos. But when you see something, it changes it. It becomes real. It's something that has flesh and bones to it. And I thought about that a lot this week as I was developing this sermon. I was thinking about how do you demonstrate showing our faith? Because in the same way that we talked about sharing our faith is, is challenging socially. Because at times it can be awkward, it can be difficult. How do we have these conversations about being a disciple of Jesus with our neighbors, with our peers, co-workers, whoever? Showing our faith is also problematic. But I think it's because of how a lot of us were raised. See, a lot of us were raised not to publicly display our faith. If we bless somebody, we were supposed to do it kind of in the secrecy of the night. If we were going to serve somebody, we should never tell people that we were serving them. 
And I think it's, again, because of how we were trained as kids. Now, I didn't prep Jeff on this, so I'm not going to ask you to sing the song. I'm going to speak the song. I'm not going to sing it. I don't want anybody to even think that I should be on the praise team. So the song that I want to talk about is called I Just Want to Be a Sheep. By show of hands, does anybody know this children's song? So we've got a few. Excellent. So the song is called I Just Want to Be a Sheep. It's a children's song, and it just goes, I think it's a B, Jeff. B. Um, but uh, that's just for me and Jeff. But it says, I just want to be a sheep, and you would do ba, 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 ba. So it's fun, right? It's a kid's song. I just want to be a sheep, ba, 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 ba. My soul to keep, I just want to be a sheep. And then ba, 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 ba. So you're like, this is a sweet song. You can hear kids singing it. It's solid theology, too, so we're all comfortable with it. Like, nothing too crazy, right? Just want to be a sheep, kind of connecting to God. We get it. But what happens next is the next verse, and it goes, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be a hypocrite because they're not hip with it, so you're kind of dating the song a bit, but I don't want to be a hypocrite. You're like, hmm, took a bit of a turn. Sweet kids doing sheep sounds, talking about wanting to follow God, and now we're going into people that we just don't like, right? So the next verse goes, I don't want to be a Pharisee. And you're like, hmm, now we're actually calling out specific groups of people here in this children's song. And so it's, I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be a Pharisee because uh, they're not fair, you see. I don't want to be a Pharisee. So really kind of hateful to the Pharisees, but also, let's just be honest, a little bit lazy on the song too. Um, the Pharisees just noted not fair people. And then the last verse was, I don't want to be a Sadducee. I don't want to be a Sadducee. Let's, anybody want to play this game? What do, why don't we want to be Sadducees? There we go. Excellent. So we know that you guys acted like you didn't know this song, but you knew exactly where it was going. And then it was, I don't want to be a Sadducee. And then after you've talked about all these people and all these things that you don't want to be, then you would loop back around to, I just want to be a sheep. Now, I thought about that song a little bit when I was working on this lesson because we're taught not to show our faith, I think a lot because we were told that we don't want to be Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees were known for publicly displaying their faith. Jesus talks about this. One of the parables that we see early in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 18, reads, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now the way that Luke is framing this, you already know who we are not supposed to be like. Now you're, you're taught, you know, it's kind of torn because we've got a tax collector and a Pharisee, but we know we don't want to be a Pharisee. Even before we read the rest of the passage, we know that we do not want to be a Pharisee. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Woo! That is a pretty raw thing to say to somebody right next to you, right? I fast twice a week and give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So we see passages like this in Scripture that connect us to this idea that the Pharisees were people who wanted to be seen for what they did. They wanted people to know that they were doing good things, that they had it right, that they were, were following God's commandments. And because of this, a lot of us have connected our showing of our faith, 
showing others that we are disciples to this. I don't think it's something that we've done wrong. I think it's just kind of how we were raised to kind of be discreet in our faith. It's not maybe put it in people's faces. And we look at passages like this and we say, okay, I know that I'm not supposed to be like that. I know that I'm not supposed to demonstrate my faith in a way that's public. Guys, that's not true. The issue here is not that the Pharisee is demonstrating their faith publicly. It's, it's the heart issue. They're doing it because they want to be seen. They want people to look and say, oh my goodness, that Pharisee is doing everything right. Look at how that Pharisee is serving God. But they're missing the issue because they've made it into a, a public issue versus a heart issue. What Jesus is drawing attention to here is that the Pharisees should be doing things because they are called to. Because as a disciple, they should want to serve, regardless of if it's public or private. They should bless regardless of if people see or know about it. It's, it's that issue, that heart issue that we've talked a lot about lately that changes everything. And the Pharisee is getting this condemnation from Jesus because the intent behind it is just to be seen, not to show. And Jesus tells another parable, probably one of the, the most famous parables that Jesus tells that we still talk about today, the story of the Good Samaritan. And I want to briefly walk through that. And it starts in Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So you're, you're getting deep Torah theology here. You're getting the Shema. This is a, a staple passage. We've talked about this before of the Jewish faith. He says, you've answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Now, I've looked at this conversation a lot over my years, and I think it's fascinating that Jesus kind of tries to end the conversation. Like, have you done that socially where you're like, and now we're done talking? And that's kind of what Jesus does here, where he, he, he tries to end it, right? He just says, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Again, we've talked about this a lot lately, but you see that the man is wanting to go deeper. See, he understands kind of the right answers. He understands what he's supposed to do, but what he's really asking is, how do I demonstrate this? Like, how do do I live my life as a disciple of you, Jesus? Like, what am I really supposed to do? I know the answers. I know that I'm supposed to share my faith. But what does that look like? Like, in the real world, What does it look like when needs present themselves? Am I supposed to go after all of them? Am I supposed to pick and choose? How do I follow you, Jesus, today? How do I show my faith to you? And so the story continues. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now the way that The story is framed in the way that Jesus is telling this parable is kind of different levels of people. When when the priest is introduced in the story, our mind should immediately go to, of course, the priest is going to stop and help this man. It's a no-brainer. Like, of course, this is going to be the person who saves this man who's been beaten by these robbers. Like, absolutely. But do you see how fast that Jesus moves in the story, too? The priest just walks by. He doesn't care. 
Like the priest has a lot of those kind of Pharisee tendencies of like, I know all the answers. I'm good. There's a lot of people that believe that the, the, the priest, just, he was too busy. He wouldn't touch the man. So too, in verse 32, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him passed on the other side, he also avoids the situation completely. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. Do you even see like the language that Luke emphasizes here? That everybody is on the other side. They're doing everything that they can to avoid this man, this opportunity to show discipleship, to show what it looks like. If we're honest with ourselves, we do this a lot in our lives, right? I've shared this before. Like if you, if you pull up to a street corner, you see people panhandling, all of a sudden you've got the most important text message, right? I do that. All of a sudden you're like, oh no, this is an important phone call from somebody. <laughs> we, we do that. We avoid these situations and we look at these individuals here in the story and we're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they would walk on the other side when somebody needed mercy, when somebody needed help, when somebody needed to see what it looks like to be a disciple. But guys, we do this. I do this. We ignore moments and opportunities that God puts in front of us to show that we are disciples. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. He, he intentionally goes out of his way to connect and reach with this person. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that I have. His story is, is a lot about the societal elements of the Samaritans and the Jews. Like, it is. Actually, I believe that is why Jesus is telling this story. It's just to say the Samaritans are good people like you. They have good hearts. They want to serve God as well. You have to recognize that they are good people. Like, at its core, that's what the story is about. But I also believe it's a story about demonstrating that you are a disciple of Christ. That you are somebody that when a moment is presented in your life to show people that you were a follower of Jesus, you don't avoid it. You don't look at your phone. You don't go out of your way to say, you know what, I'm going to take this next street just because I don't like the situation here or I don't want to approach this moment. But we go to it. And we trust that God is trying to do something in that circumstance, in that moment, to draw attention to kingdom building. So often we say, God, not now. But our answer should be, God, where do you want me to go? God, what are we doing in this moment? And the Good Samaritan, that's what the story is about as well. It's not just about the societal elements between the Samaritans and the Jews. But it's about meeting those moments when God presents them in front of you and not avoiding them. And so we see this in Scripture, right? We see that we are called to be disciples. We are called to show our faith and demonstrate what that looks like in our lives. And so what does that look like today? How do we show our faith? How do we show our discipleship in our workplaces, in our jobs, at Starbucks, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, or when the service at the restaurant isn't good, how do I show that I am a disciple of Christ? Well, that's a, a cop-out answer that I'm about to give you. 
It's, it looks different for each of us. And that's the beautiful part of what God is doing in building the kingdom of heaven here. Is that each of us have different skills, passions, motivations. And so it looks different for each of us. How you show your discipleship in your life, in your world, looks different than mine. But we still have to do it. But if I were to give you uh, an answer to kind of lead you in a direction, I'd take you to Colossians chapter 3. Where Paul writes this. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now he continues in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, you get that kind of discipleship language that we, we have a responsibility. We have a commitment here. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. Talk about how do you show, how do you demonstrate your discipleship? Like, these are good starting places. When that person cuts you off in traffic, how are you showing compassion? How are you showing kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? When the service at the restaurant today is terrible. Everyone's order's wrong. Kids are crying. That's definitely never happened to the Kittingers. Um, everyone is mad. Why do we even come out in public? You know, those statements. How do I demonstrate my faith? How do I show that I'm a disciple of Christ? I put these elements on. I demonstrate them in the way that I treat people, in the way that I love people, in the way that I show mercy to those around me. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, there's mercy, there's grace. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is a good starting place. Because these kind of make us feel good, right? Like these are things that we're like, yes, absolutely, this makes sense. But the driving force behind this whole series is the reality that we have to do these things. If we are going to call ourselves disciples of Christ, we have to show our faith. James talks about this. Probably one of the most famous passages talking about faith and works. James writes in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but do nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Do you sense like the sarcasm in this passage from James? Like none of us would do that, right? Like our humanity calls us to help them, to want to be there for them, want to provide for them. But what James is saying is like a lot of us do that. We say, you know what, hey, good luck out there, Godspeed, God bless. We do that a lot in our lives. But James is saying, that's not how it works. 
Like, if you were clothed in Christ the way that Paul describes in Colossians chapter 3, your faith has to be put in action. You can't stop it. You want to serve. You want to show and demonstrate that you are a disciple of Christ in your actions, in your thoughts. It becomes second nature. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. And then James goes into these two just cornerstone examples of putting your faith into action and trusting God. Verse 20, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. Go hand in hand. If you believe this, you are called, you're driven to serve others. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. She said, a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Verse 25, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So we, we end this sermon, I wanted to land on James chapter 2 because of what it demonstrates. We don't get these excuses. If we are going to be people that call ourselves Christians, if we're going to be disciples of Christ, one of the cornerstones of that discipleship is showing and demonstrating that faith. And so this week, my call is this. Look for those moments, those feelings when you're driving up to a situation or you encounter a circumstance where you can serve someone and you feel that you were led in that moment to do something. Chase those moments and those feelings because God is leading you in a direction. But a lot of us feel that we are inadequate. A lot of us feel that we don't have time. What I'm asking you to do this week is to take the time. Maybe you're late to your appointment. Just tell them, hey, I was serving God. <laughs> and then, I don't know, if they, if they get mad at you on that, then that's another conversation that you need to have. Maybe we'll do a sermon about that. But if it disrupts your day a little bit, that's okay. Because you've showed someone what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Let's stand and sing together.